Welcome to the Leadership and Success Podcast with your host, Coach BZ. If you need to develop into a better leader, this podcast is for you. If you want to achieve a greater level of success, this podcast is for you. His mentor, Dr. John C. Maxwell, said it best, everything rises and falls on leadership. We hope to inspire you today and provide you with an insight that has the potential to positively impact the trajectory of your life. Welcome to the Leadership and Success Podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is um, Busy coming to you from Silicon Valley. I have a very, very special guest today. We're going to be talking to uh, Dick Wilkerson, who's uh, the CTO of um, Proofline. Uh, when I first uh, met uh, Dick, uh, he was working for the state of New Mexico. He is a cybersecurity professional, uh, CISO certified, just like I am, and he's also a member of the FOB Technology uh, Council. Uh, how are you doing, Dick? Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show this morning. Absolutely. And it looks like you also uh, have some uh, military experience like I do, and uh, I believe the Navy did uh, beat you off this past weekend, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> that did happen. Yeah, I had to Google the results. I didn't get a chance to watch it. But when I knew I was talking to you, I said, I better look at it up and see because if we lost, if the army lost, I'm going to hear about it. And I, yeah, there you yeah. go. So <laughs> but, sorry, I'm just giving you a, a, a hard time. But, but yeah, so if you could tell yeah. us kind of about your uh, leadership journey, you are a CTO now and you used to be an executive of the state uh, of uh, New Mexico. Can you tell us kind of about your leadership journey? Sure. Yes. Well, you know, I'll, I'll work backwards a little bit. Um, you're right. I am currently the chief technology officer. This is my own startup company, Proof Labs. Um, so I'm a founder and I gave myself the title of CTO, of course, because I, I want to be the technical engine behind the company. Um, so I've got my business partners um, that have experience in other areas. Um, so we've balanced that out to kind of take on different roles. So I felt comfortable being the technical driver behind that because uh, you're you're right. I was a state employee for the state of New Mexico for three years. Um, I was first hired there as their chief information security officer for the, the branch, the judicial branch of the state. Uh, after working there for a little while, since this is a leadership uh, podcast, um, our boss left his position. And I saw, you know, what would be a vacuum. And I said, you know what? I know I have the skills to do this. Um, I'd like to apply. So I took on the role as the chief technology officer and hired a, another chief security officer behind me. So, um, yeah, I served in two uh, leadership positions for the state for approximately three years there. And that was uh, after 20 years in the Army, which is, you know, what you were giving me a little <laughs> ribbing about. I've got my Army shirt on. Uh, I'm very proud to be a retired Army uh, chief warrant officer. So I was a technician in the Army as well. Uh, and, of course, you know, my leadership training and skills in any formal, uh, tangible thing that I have comes from the Army. Um, but I know that, you know, I think a lot of us naturally, even as kids, uh, you're the first when there's an assignment, you're the first kid to kind of rally the people around you. And I've got an idea, you know, let's let's try it this way. Um, mm -hmm. And I always took I always took that kind of position in a group. And so leadership has always come naturally to me. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, kind of like the transition? I'm, I'm sure how long have you been in the army? More than 20 years, right? I was in the army for 20 years and I retired in the uh, very beginning of 2019. Wow, so that it's is just been three years. Pretty now. amazing. Retiring as a chief warrant officer. And what, what was your, your, your very first uh, rate or pay grade when you initially joined? 
Yeah, so I joined the army as a as a private E one. Wow. You know, no, no rank, no pay grade at all. I just you well, know, you I need a job, and the army said, wow. "That is yep, that is that really." It. And I was enlisted for five weeks. Yeah. Wow. That no, this is this is great because a a huge uh, segment of uh, my audience is actually in the military, Navy, Army, right? Uh, all all across the thing. Yeah. So, w what is that? I think you guys call it uh, MO MOS. What what was your MOS, MOS yeah. Yep. So uh, in the army, luckily I had the the ability to stay in the same job for all 20 years. I didn't ever have to change. There was no career change for me. So I did signals intelligence uh, wow. for the entire 20 years. So I started as a private, you know, cool. learning about the basics of waveforms and radio frequency technologies. Yes. Um, my very first, and this is a unique experience for me that I think helped in my leadership skills and helps me now. Uh, my very first school that I went to was, um, you know, I went to boot camp, but then I went to a Navy base um, in Pensacola, Florida for my technical oh, training. No. And then I went from there to, yeah, to the National Security Agency where I had exposure to every military service. All four of us sat in class together, right? And so I got cultural influences from all the military branches. I got leadership examples from Navy chief warrant officers, uh, you know, Navy technical uh, chief petty officers. Uh, Army chief warrant officers, you know, I had all those people in that schoolhouse around me. And so having those leadership examples, having Air Force, Army, Marines and Navy all sit side by side in a class and grow mm -hmm. up in that environment together and then hit the fleet, you know, together and be in that same type of environment, civilian leadership again there, uh, getting examples of what all those different things look like, even as a E1, E2. It was such a just a rich environment to learn from. Wow, that is that is pretty uh, amazing. And uh, how was the uh, transition for you then uh, to kind of go from you know junior enlisted to senior enlisted and then to officer to chief warrant officer? Yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, you know, I think this is something that your a lot of your listeners will probably really tune into. Um, I was very goal oriented, and the military makes that a pretty straightforward process. It gives you a ladder to climb, and it gives you really clear goals of like how go to this school, achieve these many credits, uh, get this type of assignment, and then you'll get that next rank. Um, and if you know, not that's not always under your control, but the roadmap is there. And so, as an enlisted person, I saw a, a board up. It was kind of a recruitment board for the warrant officer program, and it had these very clear roadmap. This is how you get there. You know, it wow. was, I was an E3 or an E4 at the time. And I said, okay, step one, you know, make sergeant, be good at that. Mm -hmm. uh, then step two, you know, get this school under my belt and get good at those technical skills. And it gave me a roadmap, three or four years of things to work on that I was really able to focus on. And it took that time. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. It took three years of hard work and focus and, you know, checking things off to get there. And then I was selected as a warrant officer, but it was, it was uh, all in. It took three years of all in attention and effort to get there. Well, that is really uh, important to know. I think that's one of the greatest leadership success, right? First figure out you know, what uh, the issue might be, kind of what the path uh, looks like, what all of the requirements are, and then start to work one by one to achieve uh, those milestones. And then uh, before you know it, uh, you will get exactly where you uh, wanted uh, to go. Well, that is that yeah. is that is quite something. Now, uh, the the other thing we share uh, in common is uh, we are both members of the uh, Forb Technology Council. Can you um, tell me about your ex your experience on being a member of the uh, council and the type of benefit you get out out of it? 
Sure. Well, you, uh, I'm glad that you kind of invited me. I saw that you had joined um, after we had taken a class together. And I said, you know, that if Bob's doing it, then there's probably some value in it. Uh, let me see what it's about. Um, and so, yeah, I, I applied to the program um, last year and was accepted. Uh, it, you know, it is an exclusive program um, as far as needing to have some specific experiences or a current role in the industry. And um, I was working for the state at the time. Um, I had to kind of convince them that a state leader should be in the council because mm -hmm. it was primarily business leaders. And so to have somebody from inside government, um, I kind of had to get a little creative in my application and explain to them, uh, even though I don't work for revenue or profit, uh, I manage $12 million of taxpayer money every year. Yes. So that's the same as a medium sized business, you know, mm -hmm. and I have that same skill set, the same demands as a leader from a technical perspective. We have the same enterprise that, you know, a large bank would have, you know, so I've, got a, I've still got that same skill set. And so Forbes agreed that, you know, having a government leader uh, and a voice in that uh, made sense. And so I was very happy to join the council. And I really talk a lot there about um, basic technical, you know, things where I can. But usually my topics are more around um, business leadership and how security leaders can bring business value to the rest of the organization outside of just technical solutions. So that's, you know, that's generally what I try and write about both in Forbes and other publications. I think it's something that the audiences get plenty of technical resources. They don't always get yes. that um, soft skill resource, especially written about. And so mm -hmm. I think that's something that I, I'm just comfortable with. So Forbes has been a great platform for that. Yeah, let, let's talk about soft skills because uh, in uh, my career, I've seen quite a few uh, CISOs, head of security, who are extremely technical. But they don't always get the um, business piece, right? Uh, like myself, uh, I uh, earned a MBA just uh, because of that. Just wanted to learn more about how to manage a business and how to align business with uh, security. Tell, tell us more about why it is important for somebody who leads the cybersecurity function to also you know, be good at business and leadership. Well, you know, we um, we don't trust robots to run the internet for us yet for a reason um you know you don't the security officer kind of acts like a robot in that you look at it and say does this make the system more secure or less secure and then that automatically equals yes or no if we're moving towards more secure we should do it if we're moving towards less secure don't do it and that's a robot level decision and so when you're a technician that's the decisions that you make right hey i know this this is not moving in the right direction we're not going to turn it on we can't implement it don't do it and so that's where uh, your technical CISO gets stuck sometimes. They've got their essentially a formula in their head that's always running and they know every little change you make, does that make me more secure or less secure? And they push back on anything that, that disrupts that formula, right? I know that, I've seen it, I've, I've had it in my head before too. Um, but uh, you've got to look around the room and realize that people sitting across the table from you are not robots. They're not like you. They're not making technical decisions based on a clear, you know, mathematical formula. Almost nothing in their life that they're trying to work with is as tangible as that. You know, they can't really predict what that next revenue stream or outside market force is going to be where you can look right at it and say, I know my threats. I know what I'm secure against and I know how to turn it on or off. They don't have that concrete in their life. So you've got to come. You've got to take some of those concrete robotic decisions out of your process. And you've got to say, I know what that, that becomes an indicator. That becomes one part of my decision process, not mm -hmm. the entire process. Take that as the seed for where you start thinking and go, I know it makes me less secure, but 
what other reasons does this matter to the other people in this room? And if uh, it really matters to a lot of them, you've got to turn that robot switch off a little bit as a security officer and say, you're accepting risk. Let's talk about what that means. And now you've got a human level conversation to have with somebody around, why does it make you upset? Why does it make you as the security officer think we're in a dangerous position? And maybe they didn't understand that before. It doesn't mean you're going to come to your goal. It doesn't mean that that's the right answer either. It just means you can make the other folks aware of the risks that are associated and get away from that. Yes, no, hard logic type of answer. No, that is uh, that is uh, great. I, I think we definitely need uh, more common sense leadership and also um, business uh, savvy among cybersecurity uh, professional. I remember, I think it was last year, right, at the uh, EC uh, Council conference, you had the presentation, you talked about third, right? Uh, fear, uh, uncertainty, and uh, yeah. doubt. And uh, you were saying how... Pretty much, you know, even when I when I was coming up in this field, you no, know, it's like the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Everybody needs, needs to be afraid. But that's not always a very successful uh, strategy for cybersecurity, is it? Uh, no, you know, in that that topic, I was definitely talking to your organization insider. When you're inside and you're trying to make those decisions with your peers that are right around you, you don't want to walk around motivating those people with fear all the time. Uh, it leads to a situation where they don't maybe don't want to interact with you, right? Because you you are the bad news, right? You are the resource where they get bad information or they get upset about something, um, and so it doesn't really lead to better relationships if that's all you do is show up to every uh, you know weekly meeting and run some headline about what we should all be scared about. Uh, so yeah, I definitely encourage people internally, you need to base your relationships on talking points and decisions other than what should we be afraid of. Uh, you need to have conversations with your leaders that are not, this is the hole we're patching up today because some new threat popped up. You need to talk to them about your proactive plans. You need to talk to them about the positive things that you're doing that aren't just fear-based or reactive. Uh, and I think they people will understand that. People really get a better grisp, uh, grasp on your proactive plans uh, and they wanna participate in those. People don't really wanna be a part of the scary stuff. They wanna be a part of the like, it makes you feel better to know you're protecting the organization. That's what they wanna participate in. So, but outside of that though, there's, there's, a, there's a flip to that. When you're not inside the organization, and this is what I'm learning now being, I wouldn't say I'm on the sales side of things yet, but being an external influence Sometimes you have to get people's attention with fear. You just have yes. to, like to get their attention first. It's the only thing that they'll pay attention to. The news knows that, right? That's why every headline is a breaking news, right? Mm -hmm. They gotta grab your attention, even though it's not really that much of a big deal. And so sometimes you have to use that breaking news mentality with security topics and then back off that edge a little bit. But if you're that outside force, you're not inside the organization and already a trusted factor, sometimes you have to use fear to get attention. And that's unfortunate, but that's where our industry is at. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your transition. So you went from uh, working for the U.S. government, the the army, the state government, New Mexico, and now you are branching mm -hmm. on your own with uh, Proof Life. What has that uh, transition been? Being a an entrepreneur and starting uh, you know, something from uh, scratch. Kind of what uh, what inspired you to uh, launch like that? Yeah. Well, um, on my way out of the military, and so I'll talk to, uh, again, your audience that maybe are people transitioning or will eventually transition in the future, whether that's after 20 years or after a, a couple of tours, uh, you know, the, that time to step out and figure out what you're going to do next is it's daunting. Uh, it's critical. 
you're probably not going to get it right on your first try. Uh, you're going to, you're going to find a couple of jobs and you know, the high, the turnover rate for people after they leave the military is pretty quick. Uh, a lot of people bounce around between two or three jobs when they, when they first leave even within the first year, um, because they either culturally don't fit or the work is not what they wanted or whatever it may be. So for anybody else out there that's looking at that transition, give yourself a little room to make some mistakes. Give yourself some room to um, feel it out. <laughs> You're not, you don't have to jump directly into your next career the next day and get it right on day one. You, you, nobody does that. So don't think that's what you're going to do. <laughs> With that being said, um, you know, after leaving, uh, I when I was on my way out of the door of the army, I said, I want to get as far away from government as possible. I want to go out and do security for banks or hospitals or whatever, you know, and learn. Because for me, it was, I know how the DOD does this and I know how we turn computers into weapons and do this stuff. I want to see how everybody else does this. Well, I didn't make it very far. I made it to state government from federal government, but it was still a significant change in um, culture, in operational tempo, in the demands of what my stakeholders and business leaders needed. And so even that was still a huge um, eye-opening and educational experience. And that's another note. You don't ever stop learning just because you're the CISO or the CTO. You don't, you've not learned it all. You're learning some new technique. You're learning a management style. You're interacting with a type of person you've never had to manage before. You never stop being challenged to learn in these positions. So if somebody thinks you get a C level job and you've somehow figured it all out, that's absolutely not true. Uh, so I did spend that time with the state and uh, I, I was glad for it. I'm still glad for it. I just recently departed in August. Um, there was a couple of decisions that weighed in on that. And I was, and I still am politically uh, active and motivated. I was, I was seriously considering and, and had already put together some plans to run for federal Congress. Um, nice. My family decided they weren't really on board for that yet. And um, my company Proof Labs was there. Uh, and I said, okay, this is, this is what we're going to do. So Proof Labs is incorporated. Uh, as of earlier this year, I have a, my partner, Rick Aguilar. We've been working together for a couple of years now, um, searching for projects, looking for opportunities to create our own company. So while I was a state employee, we were kind of surveying the market. And the decision of, you know, making that jump, um, I was already financially prepared to get into a political race where it would be a year with no, no income. And so when the political uh, journey was put on pause for now, I said, okay, well, I think I have an opportunity here that um, I've got a year that I was already planning on having some space. Let me see what I can do with that time. And I went ahead and departed that job from the state and we're, you know, we're out here. I'm in a space right now um, that we're here under the proof labs um, header. Uh, this is the Air Force Research Labs Economic Development Center for Space and Directed Energy. And so uh, I am here with Proof Labs to offer cybersecurity services to the space development and um, you know, technology industry that's burgeoning here in New Mexico. Um, but the leadership decision to do that, you know, it's, it's exactly what you hear. It's scary. It's, uh, you're going to ask me later about failure. There's that fear of failure. Um, you know, there's, it's all those things jumped into one. It's exciting. It's um, what could it be? What's the potential? And I think the biggest and hardest factor that I've had to deal with so far in this decision is any other time in my career, I was part of a very big apparatus. There was a lot of other people. There was an institution around me. And so success was really a team sport. And as you could be a great contributor, but the whole team had to be pulling the rope all at once to get it done. Right. Mm -hmm. In a startup, 
it is on you. <laughs> there is not an apparatus around you, right? It's you and your buddy and whoever else you can grab by the collar and bring along, right? And if you get some money involved, even better, right? You know, but um, yeah, there's you can't look around and say, if I don't show up today, somebody's probably got the watch. No, nobody's got the watch. If you're not doing it, nobody's doing it. And that's, I think, the biggest factor that maybe, especially people who have had a long career like we have in big organizations, that's going to be the biggest culture shock is waking up in the morning and not having a coworker. <laughs> wow. Knowing that nobody came to turn the lights on before you, you turn the lights on because you, you turn them on and off every day. <laughs> so that's a big difference. Absolutely. Definitely. I commend you for that. Looking at your stellar career again in the uh, federal government, state government, and now launching on your own. Uh, what uh, major advice would, would you have to a 20 version, uh, to a 20 years version of yourself? Uh, knowing what you know now, looking at all of the achievements you've, you've, you've had uh, so far, what is one major tip you would have for a 20 year old version of you? Okay. Okay. So what would I go back and tell myself when I was 20 years old? Yes. All right. All right. Um, uh, I think there were times when I was, and, and I think some people wouldn't believe this, but there were times when maybe early on I was resting on my laurels a bit. I was letting that institution or that apparatus carry me. And I took a little bit of some some breaks in along the way in the army as far as charging myself or pushing myself. Um, and I know people, you know, that's that's relative, right? When you're in the army or military, you're still really probably pushing yourself pretty hard. But I know that I, I there was a few years in there where I didn't maximize my capacity. Uh, I didn't take advantage of everything that the military had to offer. And if I could go back and talk to my 20 year old self, I'd say, hey, some of these things you're not going to want to do but this is the empty space you need to fill and it's going to pay dividends later on. So yeah, I would say don't, don't rest on your laurels, young man, this next 10 years, just cause you have a lot of comfort in things around you in this career. Um, you need to work hard because that career won't always be there. Wow. That is, that is very, very great advice. So it's um, this part now in our show where I'm going to be asking you my seven favorite questions. So starting with number one, uh, what mm -hmm. is the greatest lesson you have learned so far? Mm. Well, I think it goes back to um, when I was departing the military and a little bit of what we talked about just now. Um, I do best on a team, even if I'm not the leader of the team, I do best in a small team environment. Uh, I didn't jump out and start a cybersecurity company right away when I de when I departed from the military and retired because I knew that being a solo person, I, I wouldn't succeed. I wouldn't have the discipline or the drive, motivation, whatever it is to go and, mm -hmm. and get to work. And so for me, I found that being a leader on that small team, the reason that that motivates me so much is the service aspect of it. It's mm -hmm. serving the other members of the team. It's giving them that coaching, that leadership, that mentorship that, hey, we all ran into a problem together and let's work on a solution together. And not having the capacity to do that, you know, not having other people around me to lead, that's what I was missing, right? And it's not that I have to be the person in charge. It's that I want to feel like we as a group are collaborating and that we as a group are, are sharing the, the challenges and the successes. Yes. And so I think for me, that's that's definitely it, is that I, what I've learned is I need a team so that I can serve and feel like the task we have is is more important to everybody, bigger than yourself, you know? That is that is fantastic. So what, what do you think is the uh, secret of your success? 
Uh, yeah, secret. Um, consistency, uh, I think, is it, you know, and that's not that's not a secret. Uh, I think it's as we talked about earlier, once you've achieved that one goal, if you've got a really big goal and you've got a whole ladder you're trying to climb, consistency. Take that little breather and get right back at it. Stay consistent. If you've got timelines in that goal, hit them. If you've got whatever those markers are, hit them. Uh, and if you don't hit one, get up tomorrow and keep trying. That consistency um, is it. I mean, that's the key to success. Uh, I can't, yeah, I've ran into roadblocks. I've had problems in my career. I've had issues in, in life outside of the Army. But I kept showing up, and that was it, you know, consistency. Yes, I think it was with Ian who said that success uh, is out uh, showing up, right? Because there are some people who just don't show up. And if you don't show up, there is no way yeah. you are going to have uh, an opportunity to make a difference, right? So what is the greatest yep. uh, leadership advice you have ever received? Hmm. This, was a, this was hidden a little bit. This was a leadership lesson, but it was hidden behind another thing that was trying to be delivered. Um, I had a first sergeant, and if you're not in the military, that's the senior enlisted person in the group. Um, they keep track of all the knuckleheads pretty much, right? I was the knuckleheads, and the first sergeant showed up and told, told me to quit being a knucklehead. And so there was a day where um, we, in the Army, we all like to stand in a square and listen to the leader talk, and that's how we know what we're supposed to do today. It's called standing in formation. And so we were standing in formation, and the first sergeant came out. I was a sergeant at the time, so I was paying really close attention to this guy because he's what I'm supposed to grow up and turn into, right? So I'm paying attention to everything this person says. And he came out and delivered a, some information to us that you know nobody was happy about. Nobody wanted to do it. It was sort of, yeah, we're going to have to stay late one day, and it's going to be a really crappy day, and just get ready for it. Tomorrow's going to suck. And it was one of those kind of things. Uh, and it was a surprise, and just wasn't what anybody wanted to do. And we, he told us, you know, listen, I don't want to do this either, right? And then he dropped some knowledge on us. So here it comes. He said, listen, you know, my job is to go into the room and talk to the captain, and he's going to tell me what to do. And I, it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. It doesn't matter whether I agree with it or not. I have to come out here, and I can't say, hey, the captain said, here's what we're going to do today, and put that blame on him. I walk out here and I own that order like it's coming out of my mouth because it is. And I'm telling you guys what we are going to do. I put my internal opinion and how I feel about this crappy day that's coming tomorrow in my back pocket and I shut up about it. And I come out here and I do my job because it's not my job to argue with the captain. It's not my job to tell you how much this is going to suck tomorrow. It's my job to tell you what the captain said. I come out here and I do my job. Right. And that I got it. To me, as that sergeant and in the military environment, I know that's unique, but I got it. Okay, it's not your job to have to make that decision. It's that person's job to make that decision. And knowing when you are or are not the decision maker, that's the lesson there, right? And that that changed my perspective on so many things that I would be frustrated about in the future, right? For the rest of my career where I'd say, I don't like the way this is going. I don't like the decision the command made. And even when I became a warrant officer and an advisor to the command, there was a ton of times, right? That made the problem worse because I saw it more often. I got told no more often, right? I got mm -hmm. told this is the operational need. This is what we have to do. And um, yeah, I learned how to recognize when are you the decision maker? When is that your job? And when is it not? Wow, that is very, very uh, profound. Really, a lot of the leadership principles I've learned in the military really apply in real life in the industry and pretty much across uh, the board. 
thank you for sharing that. So question number two, what are you learning now? Mm, so I'd say right now I'm learning, um, I'm continuing to open my scope. I think is the big thing as a leader and uh, both, you know, from a business development perspective, that's important. But from a personal perspective, um, just like I said, when I departed the, the federal government, I wanted to go learn about the rest of the industry and I made it to state government. I had discounted the idea that I would have a lot to learn at state government. I thought it's going to be exactly the same as federal government. That's not true. There was enough there that it was quite a bit different. And I had a learning curve. I had to figure it out. And so now I'm in that same boat again, three years later, where I don't have any assumptions this time, though. I don't think I know anything about what's out here, right? But I'm opening scope. I'm looking around, uh, and I think that's what I'm learning is what is you know from a technical perspective, what are the security needs of other industries? Why have they come up with the solutions that they have that are different than the DoD? Um, but but really, from a personal perspective, it's understanding the motivations of that industry. It's understanding the business needs of why would they make a decision like that. And if you look at it from that, you know, security officer perspective, that's a terrible idea. But when you open that scope and start to learn about the other needs that are in that business or, or decision makers life, um, you understand why they do the things that they do. Uh, and you don't judge it as harshly and you can come alongside them. And as an advisor, like I often am, you can help them make better decisions. So continue to open your scope. Wow. Always have an open mind. That is, that is great. So uh, question number three, how has failure shaped your life? Uh, you know, I, I saw this one the very first time you sent me the questions. I think a lot of people probably get a little worried about this question. Um, I'll be very honest. Failure, the fear of failure has been the biggest impact of failure on my life is that it has motivated me, maybe not in a good way, to not take certain risks in the past, to not get involved in certain things that I thought might not lead to the outcome that I wanted. And so I have limited myself at times. I'm, I've limited what I thought was possible because if I even slightly thought the outcome was going to be failure, I wouldn't do it. Um, so unfortunately, failure has limited uh, some of the things that I maybe would have wanted to do in life because I just avoided the even the potential of failing. Uh, and that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. Uh, I probably, you know, who knows? Who knows? I don't want to look back and say what could have been, but I know for sure. Uh, it has prevented me from taking, you know, bold steps in the past that uh, because that fear of what if was too much. Well, yeah, I think failure can definitely be a great uh, teacher, right? If you learn from it, uh, def mm -hmm. definitely. And uh, question number four, uh, who do you know that we should know? Who are some of your mentors and thought leaders you are following right now? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to give a shout out to what's a very niche thing, but um, her name is Debbie. This is on LinkedIn. Her name's Debbie, the data diva, right? And I don't read her everything she writes, but um, she is talking about data and data privacy and laws and regulations and the impacts of new technologies and uh, just a topic set that I think impacts us all so much more than we realize it's being built into the infrastructure behind you and around you and you just don't know that it's there. Uh, it's in your devices, it's in every, you know, end user license agreement that you sign that says, you know, a year from now, we're gonna take your biometrics and do anything we want with it, right? And she is like the watchdog for the industry on all of that. 
you know, not just from a like legal perspective, but from a, just everything that's happening. So I would say if you have even a slight interest in keeping up with your own data privacy from a personal perspective or from an industry perspective, uh, look for the data diva online. She's, she's a really great resource. Um, yeah, she's, she's one that I really enjoy watching. Uh, and then, you know, somebody else that really inspires me often and, uh, is Naomi Buckwalter. Um, her, um, uh, real hard drive to help junior, um, you know, technicians or people that aren't in the cyber field. I signed up to work on one of her, uh, nonprofit programs. Uh, I do, you know, I'm in the same boat. I'm trying to help small businesses through nonprofit efforts, but you know, she's one that I think, um, just encourages a lot of people that are in that junior career phase or probably getting turned down on job interviews. And, you know, she kind of people realize they're not alone and that to some extent it's the industry's fault that they're maybe not getting what they should out of their career. So. Yes. Everybody in cybersecurity should know about Naomi. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for sharing. And, um, if you could choose three people to have dinner with, who would you choose and why? And they don't have to be alive, right? Even historical people is fine. Right. Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, I okay, so uh, I got. I have to say Jesus, even in the ethereal plane type concept. I have to say Jesus. I am a Christian, and uh, you know, I would have never said that in the past, but that's definitely my answer now. Uh, he's there, and I guess if you're having dinner with Jesus, it doesn't matter who else you're having dinner with. But with that being said. Um, I would say, and this is, we're going to go on the total other end of the spectrum. Um, growing up, Carl Sagan, the astrophysicist who was behind the Cosmos series on PBS, was my absolute hero when it comes to science, right? I mean, he just inspired me. That show Cosmos inspired me in a way that I just, I can't even explain it. Um, I got the, I don't like reading books and I went out of my way with my own money and bought the printed version of Cosmos because I wanted the PBS didn't have it on all the time. And this was before the internet, right? So I wanted that material in my hands. I wanted to be able to look it up and think about it, reference it, whatever I wanted to. So Carl Sagan, both from the Cosmos series and from his other books, Contact and other things, um, just is, you know, somebody I would want to talk to. Um, and then I think, you know, again, I, I say I don't read very much, but Philip K. Dick is about the only popular author that I would want to talk to and say, why did you come up with some of these themes? And why did you so often relate these humanistic themes inside your sci-fi stories? Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting blend. Uh, and for somebody who doesn't read very much, being inspired by a couple of authors in there, uh, Three authors, actually. They're all three authors. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that is that is fantastic. So uh, question number five, uh, what have you read that we should read? I know you, you mentioned Philip K. Dix and his, and his book. Uh, any, anyone else? Mm -hmm. um, well, any book that he has written, and of course, most of his books have become popular movies as well. So you mm -hmm. really can't go wrong because you can kind of get it from both, both angles there. Uh, the reason that I've always loved Philip K. Dick is, um, you know, his sci-fi is not super far in the future. So it's got that little bit of a realistic edge to it, even though he wrote it a little while back. And then it's almost all uh, other human themes beyond just um, what cool science and aliens are there going to be. So that's one. And then from the military reading perspective, um, there was a book I read a few years back. It's a collection of short stories. It's called Redeployment. I picked it up in an airport um, because I was, you know, it was one of those, I'm going to buy a book and read it on this long flight kind of things. It was probably the only time in my life I ever did that on purpose. And I read that thing cover to cover in like a day and a half. 
because it's a collection of short stories. But if uh, it's about coming back from being deployed, and it's just these very, it's um, they're fictional, and they're these human um, kind of a glimpse into the life of, and it's a variety of different things, you know, person who was disabled, a person who's not, you know, just what kind of life issues, not even issues, just what is life like when you come back, and it just takes that not beat you over the head approach to like an expose. It's just more. It's a very human book. Uh, so anybody that even not in the military read redeployment to get a little bit of perspective on what life after coming back from a war zone and trying to be a normal person is check that out. Wow. Thank you so much for uh, sharing. So uh, number six, what have you done that we should do? What is uh, one action you have taken that has positively impacted your life? This is one that I um, I do it repeatedly, but I think it was a decision or an action quite a few years back that I hold on to. Um, physical fitness, right? And you say, okay, of course, the Army guy says, go run and it'll make you better at stuff. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Um, but I'm not in the Army anymore. Um, and I, you know, I thought in my mind, am I, when I retire, am I never going to yeah, exercise again? When I was a junior enlisted guy, that absolutely would have been true. Uh, I hated doing PT in my first few years in the army and I almost wanted to get out of the military because of it. Right. Wow. Fast forward to I'm retired. You know, I exercise more now than I ever did uh, in the military. I'm in better shape than I was back then because it became more valuable to me outside of the army that need to get up, do that in the morning, have that consistency, know that I'm putting an investment into myself, into my health, into my mental well-being. And yes. I know that this hour of the day is useful. If no other hour of the day, kind of like that make your bed thing, right? If, uh -huh. if this is what I do useful today, I did it. It's done. The first hour of the day, I did something useful. And so that has been, you know, six days a week, I'm up exercising, right? I just don't, I don't miss it. And so I think that, you know, whether it's not physical exercise, maybe it's the routine of a positive uh, beneficial thing first thing in the morning that could probably work for anybody. That, that, that is really great. Really, uh, being fit exercise is one of those things that's extremely important but not urgent, right? You don't have the urge to do any of that, but if you do, the benefits are just uh, mind boggling. Thank you so much for, yeah. for sharing. So, if you had one and only one day to live, what would you have liked your final contribution to be? One day to live, huh? Final contribution. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, I've got all these ideas for inventions and things that I would think maybe I would crank one of those out or at least write it down, the schematics or something. Uh, but, you know, I could write down 10 little things and even if they all got built, they'd fade away, right? But in time, those things would fade away. I don't think I'm going to invent the next toilet or anything. So, you know, <laughs> it's like we're not, you know, I'm not inventing the light bulb. Um, so the last day, um, man, you know, I think my answer is probably the same as a lot of people. I would just, uh, I would not only spend so much time trying to tell the people that I love, you know, that I love them, but I think I would, my message for the world would, would be that I would just spend that whole day telling people to stop fighting and love each other. I mean, and that sounds like goofy, but that's it. I'd spend that entire day just saying that to everybody I could. Yeah, I, actually, I think that is so, uh, important. So critical to just take a moment to appreciate you know, the people in your life. And uh, uh, yeah, I think there is nothing more important than that, even as a leader, right? 
uh, you 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 really want to appreciate the people who work uh, for you and who contribute to the uh, mission. Uh, I feel like in many ways, especially in the military, for for sure, because we don't get paid much at all compared to industry. Yeah. But people are willing to even give yeah. their life for for the cause. I think sometimes people will do much more for you for appreciation than they would for monet monetary compensation uh, oh, yeah. at times. But uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So the, the final question uh, we have for you is uh, how can we add value to you? What could we do to make mm -hmm. a difference? Well, um, you know, I, I pick up a lot of um, uh, nonprofit type uh, banners or community help type banners. So I, I got a couple of lanes there that I think if you're watching this or if you're listening, there's a few ways you can help me. And we'll start on the nonprofit side and then I'll talk a little bit about my business, the profit side. But uh, I'd say keep an eye out for any uh, opportunity that I might offer on LinkedIn to volunteer or support uh, or mentor junior technicians uh, or people that are trying to enter the, the industry of IT or cybersecurity. Uh, you know, I'll continue to work with folks like Naomi. I'm continuing to try and build a resource here where senior folks may get a chance to do some consulting and, and contribute. Um, so I'm always looking for opportunities in the community to either recruit new people, uh, to help people on their journey, uh, military transitioning folks, uh, you know, outside of tech. So there's, I'm always trying to look for opportunities and present opportunities to kind of volunteer in that way. So please pay attention to my activity on LinkedIn for chances to volunteer or support the workforce. Uh, and then, you know, for me personally, my company Proof Labs is a start, it's in startup mode. Uh, we're definitely trying to find the right uh, product that we can deliver. Right now we have consulting services available we're focused on the space industry, but really it's um, technology as far as hardware, uh, internals to your network, um, security architecture end to end, uh, and those sort of big projects where you know nobody's thinking about security. That's really where we want to step in is, is a technical deployment of like IoT for a smart city or a base. And we want to be able to be the, the security thought process in the room when those big projects are going on. So please take a look at my company on LinkedIn, Proof Labs, uh, and see if there's any opportunities for us to support you and your security needs. And then I'll also be soon, I'll be launching my own page to do um, consulting and really uh, public speaking for, you know, motivational uh, corporate events, uh, talking about leadership, talking about creating a security culture in your organization, um, some, you know, those soft skills and very tangible ways to improve security uh, in your organization. Uh, I'll be, you know, looking for opportunities to speak about that, uh, keynotes and things like that. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I've just recently got the domain, but the site's not up yet. So when the site gets up again, if you're watching on LinkedIn, it'll be all over the place. So, well, thank you so much, Dick, for your contribution to uh, our industry. And I know you also have uh, a book in the work. Uh, once it's published, I definitely would like to have you back here. Uh, so yeah. Dick, welcome everybody, uh, Chief Warrant Officer, Chief Information Security Officer, Chief Technology Officer, and a valid member of the Informed Technology Council. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate that. And thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to the uh, Leadership and Success podcast with uh, your host, Coach Busy. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Leadership and Success podcast with your host, Coach Busy. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our channels and come back for more wisdom nuggets on how you may develop into a better leader and achieve greater levels of success. 
Leadership is the most critical skill. The world will always need leaders to lead others, deploy the next disruptive technology, or execute a business strategy. You may as well decide on counting yourself among the 21st century leaders. See you right here next time on the Leadership and Success Podcast with Coach BZ.